Hello and welcome to University Challenged, where my guest for this episode is Les Graham. Now Les's story is as interesting as it is inspiring. Despite leaving school without GCSEs, her career to date has included, are you ready for this, riding instructor, coder, project leader on Y2K for one of the world's largest financial institutions, kinesiology specialist in human equine and canine treatment, founder of the Kinesiology Association of New Zealand, firewalk instructor, dog behaviourist and author. Phew. Hers is a story of following your passions, reframing setbacks and earning accreditations and qualifications while working and of giving back to others every step of the way. You'll notice throughout our conversation how in each instance Leslie's own personal development isn't something that she keeps to herself. She has a lifelong commitment to helping others. Currently studying for a doctorate, Les goes to show that learning most certainly doesn't take place just in the classroom and that what's said to you when you're a pupil at secondary school doesn't dictate what you're destined to be. This is a fantastic episode, really inspiring. I hope you enjoy it. Please give it a share. And uh, well, let's introduce you right now to Les. Right, look on this. Go. Hello, Les. Thank you for joining me today. Hello, Tony. Thank you for having me. So, for the listeners today and the listeners to come. Now, I know that you are Les Graham, award-winning. Um, but could you <laughs> please tell people what your name is and what it is that you do for a job today? What I do for a job today? Well, I'm Les Graham and I'm based up in Scotland, which is a place I absolutely love. And what I do for a job today, oh my goodness, so I'm an author, so I write books for a living. And I also train uh, accredited pet gun dog instructors. So uh, gun dog trainers who train using my methodologies based on my books and my principles and my methods. Awesome. And I now do. I know what a gun dog is because I've got two. Um, <laughs> for, those, for those that are yet to encounter a gun dog, can you um, explain what that is? Yeah, sure. So gun dogs are the most popular of all of the dogs for pets. Um, I've got two Labradors and a working cobra. And they're dogs that were bred specifically to assist us on the shooting field. Okay, so whether that's rough shooting where you go out with the dog and a gun and you go out and you shoot your lunch and the dog retrieves it yeah. and puts it very gently in your hand so that you can have a beautiful, beautifully presented roasted bird rather than a casserole bird. <laughs> the British, British gun dogs are things like, you know, um, the Labradors, the yeah. golden retrievers, anything retriever at the end yeah. is a gun dog. Anything yeah. with spaniel at the end yeah. is a gun dog and yeah. anything that's... Um, really pretty and looks like it should be a working dog is probably a gun dog so you visualize your vine moranas german shorthead pointers wirehead pointers all right. of those are, have got a job on the shooting field as well the point the hprs are european breeds mm-hmm. you've got visualized haven't you i have yes they yeah. point at everything it's over there it's over there it's over there i know they're, they're amazing and they're bred to work at distance and to point it. So what they do is they point at the game and they hold the point until the person with the gun can come up and shoot the game and then they retrieve it. So they hunt they hunt, hunt out the game, they point at it and then they retrieve it. That's what your dog is, the 
supposed to do for a living. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, what they're supposed to do. Um, good on the table for you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if only. Um, now, this is quite, you know, awesome thing. You've got your um, training methodology. You write about it. People become accredited in training yeah. to your methodology. Um, let's go way back to um, before you were doing this, before you were doing anything for a job. Um, okay. What were your memories or what are your memories of secondary school? Secondary school was not being there, really. Mm -hmm. and, um, playing hooky and yep. then looking out of the grounds for a ciggy when the teachers yep. weren't looking. <laughs> I was terrible. So um, mainly I used to try and play hooky so I'd go down the stables and ride the horses. And my spaniel's wagging his tail. I can I'm hear it. It's like a little drum beat there. <laughs> it is. Do you want me to get mouth? Okay. That's all right. As long as your voice is, you know, louder. Okay, uh, I'll make sure I'm close at the mic. Um, yeah, so just playing hooky really. I didn't I didn't particularly enjoy school. I think um I was so focused on horses and being around horses that I didn't really study. And then when I discovered that I needed uh to train as an assistant instructor, a riding instructor with the BHS, yeah. that I needed to have uh, four O levels, I kind of went, oh okay, need to get my finger out and do something about this. And by then the teachers had lived with me as a troublemaker and that was it, I was done. Wouldn't help me. You, you know, you, I, I, had, I had the label by then and it stuck. Yeah. And um, where did you end up with your O-levels? Did you? <laughs> I didn't. Did I you didn't. get it? You didn't? No. No, I got, I, I was... I think I got about five or six CSCs and then mm -hmm. I got one grade one, which is the equivalent of an O-level. And that was in typing, which has really set me in good stead, I've got to say. Um, wow, yeah. Easier yeah. to write books if you can type properly, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's a lot easier. And I used to work in IT as well. So I used to be able to chat to people while I was writing computer programmers, which used to really wind the guys up. No end. <laughs> so yeah, that was really useful. So you, you talked about, you started off with horses then. Um, so you wanted to be a riding instructor. So leaving school as you did with uh -huh. not, not the correct number of O-levels to become uh, a, an instructor, what did you do? I trained to be a riding instructor. I still went ahead with it and trained to be a riding instructor so that I could do my horse master's exams, which you don't need, didn't need any qualifications for. Okay. So I left school at 16 left on the Friday, the Monday was the bank holiday Monday and I started yeah. work on the Monday and that yeah. was it. So I started as a, a working pupil, which um, which means that you work for your education, you don't get paid. So you uh, turn up and you do everything. Okay. And then something you're studying, you know, mocking out, learning how to teach. And yeah. I actually went back to the lady who taught me how to ride when I was seven. So mm. I went, it was a full circle for me. So the first horse, I rode with her with this massive horse called Teddy. Yeah. And um, when I went back as a working people at 16, he was the first horse I rode. Wow. So it was, yeah, it was, it was really special. Mrs. B is amazing. And she's, she's only just stopped riding at 90. So she's wow. a special woman. Yeah. And how did you support yourself if you were being an unpaid pupil trying to establish I yourself? Stayed at home, stayed with my mum. Yeah. Yeah, and old, where did you? 
And where did you live? Whereabouts in the world were you? Because I know you've uh, been all over, Les. <laughs> at that point, I was still in Tyneside. I hadn't left. hadn't left the northeast. And then okay. I did. I did leave and went to work in Bedlington, which is in Morbeth. Okay, yeah. And that was on the old YTS scheme, you know, the East yeah. German scheme. I worked in a hunt yard, and that was really interesting because we lived in a caravan in the middle of winter with the windows didn't shut, and it was chill blains down the back of my legs, and I was still having to ride horses for five hours a day. It was pretty, pretty dire. Wow. It was pretty dire. Wow. But it was great. I was 17. It was great, you know. Fun. Fun. <laughs> <laughs> do, I mean, there are things you do at that age, and you think, I cannot believe that I was here yeah, sleeping in a caravan with the windows open in the winter. I know, I know, it was shocking, really. And then we didn't have any hot water, so we had to boil everything off in a pan. And then you'd go out in the yard and you'd stick your head under the horse pipe first in the morning for a shower. And it was just, you think about it now, you just cringe, you know. That's made my scalp freeze. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what happened then with your. Um, course uh, instructing did you become an instructor I didn't I, did, I used to teach but I didn't I didn't qualify as such I did um, the BHS grading so grades one two three mm-hmm. which is uh, focused mainly on riding rather than teaching and then um, I did become a riding instructor through experience rather than through qualification and then I left the hunt yard at the end of the hunt season yeah went into an eventing yard and then had an accident had a horse fall on me and I damaged my pelvis wow told forget riding forget all about it so I then went into a sun I was still in the northeast at the time and I started working in the sun factory just to try and get some money in which factory a sewing factory I'm trying to I can't remember for the life of me it used to make um French connection clothing is what it used to, I don't know if you can remember the French Connection brand. Well, I do remember, yeah, because they 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 really did get into some trouble for the FC UK thing, didn't they? <laughs> they did. They did. So the French the French Connection. Um, oh. oh yeah, FC UK. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. The French Connection UK. I used to work for them in the Sun Factory in South Shields. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it was. It's really funny because I can remember I was. Um, it's called a thread end or the final examiner where you check the garments and stuff. And I can remember it was the year that band-aid. Yeah. Because I can remember standing. And every time I hear the song now, I'm back in the yeah. song factory in San wow. Shields with all the girls singing. Yeah. Sorting out the garments, you see. I wow. know. Amazing. Um, how did you, how was your recovery from that accident? Um, long and painful. I discovered lace making. I started doing lace making to try and keep my head together. Yeah. My mum got me into lace making. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just, it was painful. You know, yeah. they, they didn't do anything for me. They just said uh, I had to weigh, similar to a weightlifter's belt, like corset. And, yeah. Um, no riding and then had to do really gentle stretching. And, yeah. Couldn't stand for long, couldn't sit for uh, yeah, couldn't sit for long, couldn't stand for long. Right. So I would have thought working in a factory is not great if you've got serious injury to your pelvis. Yeah, no, I think I, I think I partially recovered by then. Okay. But that, that's where I ended up because I was unskilled, no qualifications, nothing. Yeah. I, I had you know, I'd never been in an office. Yeah. Never been inside of an office at that point. I was still 17. 
yeah and, um had left school with not not all levels like GCSEs and mm. um all I knew was how to look after horses and dogs and that was it and I guess actually thinking about you being in a hunt master's yard you've got that combo <laughs> horses and dogs Horses and dogs. Yeah, we yeah. didn't we didn't have the dogs in the kennels. We just okay. we we looked after people's horses from it was delivery yard. Ah. But I'd had dogs from when I was 13. So I, okay. that's what I knew. I knew animals. I didn't know people. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I would guess to work in a factory, you've got to have pretty good well tolerance of people, if not the ability to get on with people. Because you 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 know, you're working in close quarters, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> it was a good laugh it was um yeah it was very fruity the language was really you learn <laughs> a 17 year old going on the shop floor you learn a lot about life very quickly yeah uh, the girls were amazing one of my sisters worked there as well which I don't know if that was good or bad but yeah. I had a sister there as well mm. and where did you go from the factory then from the factory I moved to Worthing okay so I left the times left Tyneside yeah went down um one of my friends was getting married and one of, one of my older sisters lived in Worthing and mm -hmm. she came up for my mate's wedding and yeah. I went back down with her for a holiday the plan was we were going to come back three weeks later for a sister's wedding yeah. and I loved it and I got a job down there in an office and I stayed right. I, I, yeah local newspaper so I just started looking for a job when we were down there and um got offered a job at South News Limited which was the free newspaper in Worthing yeah and started there as a credit controller in office dog's body and that was really interesting and I used to phone people up and ask them for money over the phone and I don't think they could understand me because I was I was really broad you know, I was yeah. still 18 at the time I was really broad Geordie and I'd phone them up and i say, oh, you, you know, I see you still owe some money. And they go, yes, how much do you want? <laughs> my, my accent must have just terrified them and giving us money. So I got, I got a lot of money coming into the company, which was great. And, and at any point, because I've thought credit control to me, well, uh, maybe it was different then. Um, did, did they, at any point, did they say to you, what qualifications do you have? <laughs> no, but the woman, um, it was quite funny, the woman Doris who took me on, she was a horsey woman so, and she knew that I'd worked with horses and so ah, she was like, oh, she must be a hard worker. Yeah. And so she took me on because she thought I'd be a really hard worker. Which and, is true. Which is true. And she put me on the phones and that was it. Right. Well, go back to 1996, Tony, you, you know, computers are still really new yeah so mm. you've you so you're uh <laughs> give us your money you owe me um where did you go after that when when did you part ways with doris well i changed i changed departments because that was um credit control and then i moved across into um, more the sales ledger marking up the newspaper so you'd go through and work out the invoicing and stuff mm -hmm and really got into the, the putting a new computer system right. and I was really interested in it I did manage to completely wipe out the hard drive and take all the computer <laughs> all, all of the um, I want to do I want to do a backup and I did like DL store store which was the old way of doing the computer system and I, I forgot to change the drive onto the backup drive and so I completely wiped the hard drive off right. and um, which was really funny 
And then I left there to become a trainee computer programmer. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was so funny because there was it was telecom ACT in Hove. Mm-hmm. And there was 144 people who went for 12 jobs. And I was the only one who didn't have a degree. I was the only one who had not been to university. They took on 12 recruits, 12 yeah. um, training programmers. Yeah. And yeah, it was a full day of, um, you know, testing, and logic testing, and oral interviews. Ah, and, were they yeah, all horsey was, people? No, they weren't. No, they weren't. <laughs> I, I'd done a home study. I, I'd started a home study, City and Girls in COBOL, computer programming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yep. Yeah, I was halfway through that, and COBOL won, the original yeah. COBOL. And yeah. this, this, this it took me on. Um, I passed all the tests, and they decided to take me on because I had shown aptitude. Because I was working in the newspaper, I was yeah. working behind the ball two night, three nights a week, and then I was wow. studying in girls as well. Because the ball and, work paid for my studies, you see. Right, and I'm just putting on my uh, little router booster here. Um, so. What do you think gave you that drive? Because you, as you said earlier, teachers have gone, that, ah, you know, too busy, playing hooky. <laughs> uh, I had a, a guest on previously who said, do you remember bunking off? I was like, yeah, bunking off, um, playing hooky and smoking cigarettes. So the teachers have gone, no, no, that one, not going not to be able to teach her anything. And yet yeah. you have an obvious talent and aptitude for learning and applying that and teaching yeah. others. Where does that come from? I don't know. I mean, for the for the IT, my yeah. sister was in IT, and um, I really looked up. She was my, you know, my hero when I was growing up, and mm. um, she was in, in. She was the one in Worthing that I went down to be with, and ah. um, she worked in IT, and she just, she she was just sassy, you know. She kind of, it, it, we're talking late eighties again, you know. I mean, nineteen eighty six, and she would dressed in these amazing suits and and she had an XR3i you know oh. she had an XR3i and then she had yes. an RS Turbo wow red RS Turbo and I just thought wow this is awesome and yeah. I just found it really interesting and I've got I've got a head for organizing and okay. it just it was it, it came quite naturally to me you know the whole if this then that which is what computer systems are all about mm-hmm. if this then that okay um so you became a programmer i take because you, you said actually you were programming and chatting and freaking out all of your yeah. colleagues because you could touch type and look away and I could touch type and tell yeah. jokes at the same time yeah. yeah um how long were you in it for oh craigie i i was in it uh, 1988 up until 2001, 2000, 2001. Okay, so you did a, a fair, um, oh, yeah. fair tour of duty. Yeah. Fair tour of duty. Um, yeah. Worked in Australia as well. So uh, met Kenny in 89 and then we moved to Australia in 1990, Melbourne. And for those that don't know Kenny, Kenny is your... Kenny is my amazing husband. He's Amazing awesome. Kenny. Oh, he's awesome. He's, he's the best. So we moved to Australia in 1990 because he he was moving out there before he met me. So I went along for the ride kind of thing. Yeah. And when I was out there, we changed from COBOL, which is the, what's it called? What's COBOL? Seven Common Orientated 
business something object language, language. object okay. language yeah, yeah yeah so and I learned I learned a new language called APS and worked for Huon and we set that which is really big now it's a really big insurance uh, system right and when I was out there what was really funny I moved out there went to an agency to find a job mm. and got told by an Aussie that I should get elocution lessons which <laughs> is just okay okay <laughs> You owe me money, by the way. Yes. <laughs> You'd have had him handing over the cash. You'd say, this accent is extremely effective, actually. It is. It is. So that was hysterical. And wow. at the time, I really, I was really taking with guide dogs and the whole, how to train them. And mm -hmm. there was a guide dog centre around the corner from where we lived in Melbourne. And I looked into it. I looked into leaving IT in mm -hmm. 1990 to train guide dogs but they wouldn't consider me because I didn't have a psychology degree and I wasn't prepared to be a kennel maid for two years so mm. that that thing went straight out the window and explain and, to me why a psychology degree was necessary to train a guide dog I really don't know I think it was more to do with the fact that you were dealing with people and you had to understand people and how to talk to people and what made people tick okay Fair enough. I thought it was ridiculous. Yeah. You know, so I didn't I didn't do it. I stayed night in made a lot of money instead. Yeah. Which was great. Why not? It was yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was really good. So we had a year in Australia mm. and then we came home and I stayed in IT. Mm -hmm. And uh, from and then I had my son. And then from there I went from being a computer programmer to a team leader to a project manager. And moved across to Amex in Brighton and I was a project manager on the year 2000 project so I was yeah. one of one of the guys who used to go in in the middle of the night and make sure the systems didn't fail on the millennium yeah and explain a to really you, exciting project because there will be some people that listen to this who are um well still in their early 20s and won't remember all the fuss oh, about y2k <gasps> Yeah, imagine it's, that. It's, uh, that makes me feel really old. That makes me feel really old. So, <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> I know. <laughs> me too. Uh, it, yeah, it's amazing. It was it was an awesome project. So a lot of the code. So back in we started the project in ninety seven, and a lot of the code that we were looking at was going back to the seventies, and hadn't considered you, you know really really early computer program programming way it's, this is really alien everybody but just just as I was joining we were moving away from the data sheet so you would have you know a sheet of A4 and it would have 133 little boxes on it by so many lines and you used okay. to have to hand write the computer code right and then it would okay. be typed in okay so yeah. that had just we'd just gone beyond that when I went into IT but we were still creating something called KixMaths, which is every single bit on the, on the computer screen, you had to manually code. So you would have to say, you, you know, line five, position 70, and you would put a color attribute on it. That right, was all okay. manual coding still back then. Wow. I know it's, it's really changed. And so we were still doing that and the code, a lot of the code we were looking at had been manually entered through 
did I did operate as you say mm. and it went back to the 70s they weren't expecting it to still be around 30 years later and it was still in there 30 years later yeah I had no concept of of clicking over into the new millennium yeah. and so that's what we did and I worked with uh, Europe Middle East and Asia yeah all the systems hung together some of the guys who I knew in IT were working for things like organ transport systems mm. where the systems would have went down over midnight and the organs in trans you know en route would have died yeah. so it was it was a massive project not so much for me for me it was more making sure that we could still get your money off your credit card at midnight yeah. but there was some serious stuff going on you know it's really thought of and it's interesting I know when we spoke kind of prior to this, you know, my memories of, of Y2K, so I was born in 75, so I absolutely remember um, the panic. However, what I remember most was the, um, uh, 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 like the tabloids saying, you know, your toaster will not work, saying that household appliances that had no reliance on dates would fail. Whereas actually the economy, healthcare, lots of things could have just come to a grinding halt because they couldn't cope with the, with the two term. zero zero yeah zero. and it was because a lot of without getting like really technical because a lot of date fields are held as four bytes yeah or, or eight bytes you know so a ddmm why 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 yeah yeah well, back in the 70s it was ddmmyy and so when that clicked over at the zero zero all the systems would have crashed yeah and this is this was what the problem was and yeah it was things like you know blood banks they were the big things um mm. the nhs a lot of the nhs systems yeah yeah, yeah. incredible so you were there at a real point in history um when you complete that project did you think job done and now i'm yeah, going to do something I mean, else I was actually partying on um, the Millennium. <laughs> we, I wasn't. In, I wasn't at work. I wasn't even on call. It was like, okay, I've moved on. Thanks, you can yeah. deal with that. Um, I moved on to the Euro, which was really funny. You know, um, going for the common Euro, the Euro program, yeah. introducing the Euro in wow. Amex, and it wasn't the same. The it was still really good, but when you've been on a big project like that, you know, with you can't move the deadline. No. You've just got to get the job done. And yeah. it was a bit of a letdown after that. It was, it became very same old, same old. You, you know, even though you, the Euro was a massive project and it was, mm. it was huge. It wasn't the same as the year 2000 project. No. And you had um, all of the contractors together. You know, I had like 15 contractors working for me at one point and it was, and I was contracting. And yeah. It was just, it was, it was really, really hard work. Yeah. And my health really took a hammering off working days and then working through the night as well. Um, but it was just amazing. It was such a laugh. Intense, mm. but great fun. And what happened after that then? So the Euro is not as good as, as the Y2K project. What do you do next? Uh, I left IT. Mm -hmm. I left it, I walked away. So when I was on the year 2000 project, my I was still smoking. Right. Um, I was still smoking and we were living on things like more white sandwiches overnight and <laughs> lots and lots of coffee to try and get, try yeah. and get through the systems, you know. 
And I've started getting really bad uh, tummies, really bad IBS. And I saw a kinesiologist, Linda, was amazing. And um, she kept me fit and healthy throughout the, the year 2000 project. And I just got really fascinated with it, the way the body would heal itself, um, yeah. given the right nudge, you, you know, and uh, through muscle testing, yeah. you could find where the imbalances were in the body and you could find what the body needed to heal itself. And I was just again kinesiology. So you talked there about muscle testing. What is that? Let's say, um, do you say her name is Linda? Yeah, Linda was her. Yeah. So if what did Linda do for you? If I if I if I were you and I said, Mm -hmm. having a nightmare, I'm living off Marmite and cigarettes, I've got awful (laughs) IBS. How do you muscle test? What how does that work? Okay, so what happened? So can you, the muscle test that she did was within the Touch for Health system, which was developed by John C, who was a chiropractor. And he took um, applied kinesiology and put it into layperson's terms. Okay. And what you do is you use the integrity of different muscles mm-hmm. and you just put a couple of pounds of pressure on them and see what the muscle does. And the muscles relate to the 14 meridians. Okay. which is what the uh, acupuncturists will put needles in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so what you do is you put your, you put your, um, your arm, your leg, or, mm. or fingers in certain positions mm. and just test the integrity of them. And then you would look at the reflexes on the body, so the lymphatic system or the neurovascular yeah. system, and yeah. you would either touch or massage the, uh, the reflex on the body, and then you would check the integrity of the muscle and I, it would either be really strong or it wouldn't be as strong. And then you know that way that imbalances. So you can do it for things like um, food sensitivities, yeah. allergies, um, yeah. emotional, you know, emotional um, stress. I was yeah. given, I was given a job based on me explaining why somebody holds a forehead when they're stressed. I was just given a job on it. So it's wow. things, things like that, you know, using the body's innate knowledge on yeah. what it needs to heal itself wow um it's amazing it's a fantastic therapy and holly willoughby has just been writing about it in her new book because she I... discovered kinesiology right. when she was doing i'm a celebrity get me out of here oh i see wow and you were there like 20 years before that <laughs> like, ahead come on catch up holly with linda helping you to feel better where did you go from IT? What was your next move? I was a kinesiologist. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, that's great. <laughs> I'll learn to do that. Okay, so you, lace, that. so you could teach I people did. to ride, you lace maker, seamstress, coding, and now kinesiology. <laughs> kinesiologist. So I just, okay. kinesiology is amazing. It's so fascinating. Mm. And just learning about the body and muscles and bones, really. Yeah. It, it was just fascinating. So I learned about it when I was in IT. Right. Just for myself, really. Yeah. And um, I learned about that in Arundel with a lady called Daft Clark. Right. And then I did something called Three More, which is um, physical, emotional, and spiritual uh, type of kinesiology, which was awesome. And then I went on to be a Touch for Health instructor. So I taught other people how to do Touch for Health kinesiology. And so, right. so again, it's back. It's, it's always back to teaching for me. So I started teaching yeah. Touch for Health and had my own practice as well. So saw lots of clients and I used to do it with dogs and horses. And Why? 
Avenger, and that is a genuine question. So you're teaching people to do it. You're helping to heal people, help uh-huh. other people too. And also animals. Why did and you decide to do that? Because they're my passion. I had, they- I had a dog and, you, you know, it's, um, there's something in called kinesiology called surrogacy. Okay. Which allows you to be a surrogate for another living being so whether it's an animal or whether it's a you know a baby who you can't muscle test yeah and when you learn it in um, touch for health one right at the beginning and I just went oh my god I can do my dog I can do my horse I had a horse at the time I can do my dog I can do my horse yeah and um and I was a by that time I was a Reiki master as well I, I started doing Reiki in 97 right. again yeah. before it before it got popular yeah. And so I was a Reiki master by then as well and doing Reiki on my horse and my dog. Yeah. And it just, it, it was amazing just being able to do muscle testing. So the way surrogacy works is, do you know how when you're growing up, you're told never touch anybody who's having an electric shock? Yeah, because it yeah, passed through, that, yeah. That's surrogacy. So basically, because we're electrical beings and we're 77% water, we're yeah. fantastic electrical conductors. Yeah. And so if I if if I touched you and you're having an electric shock, the energy would flow from you to me. Yeah. And so that's how surrogacy works without the electric shock. Um you can uh, y- you can be muscle tested for somebody else's energy if you're touching them. Is now a good time to tell you. Me and my friends used to go and hold on to an electric fence in a chain. Um, and the last person would get the shock. Let's all go down to the farm and do that. That would be a good idea. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, obviously, you know, it, we were doing scientific research. Um, scientific research, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, just, um, I'm just thinking, where, where's your time for Kenny? in all of this because you <laughs> I'll be with you in a minute I'm becoming a Reiki master hang on he's, in there he's a Reiki master too ah uh, okay okay yeah we we did work we did some of it together <laughs> not all of it together and then I trained him as a kinesiologist so that he could fix me <laughs> it's like ah. So that's great because I had I have been for Reiki a few times and found it um, quite 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 an experience actually. And there is always the question of well, anyone that you know, a lady gave me a head massage recently, and I was like, who does that for you? There yeah. is that when you are the person who's doing the healing or the whatever work it is, is like, who who does that for you? Yeah, got, Ken, got amazing Kenny. The amazing Kenny. Yeah, he's, he's a very good, really, really good kinesiologist, really good healer. Wow. And, he's um, an, and he does amazing websites as well. He does all my websites. Ah, oh, okay. So. Um, and, at, and at this time, actually, you've got a young child. So you've got, your son is young? He was then, so he would have mm. been, he was born in 94. Yeah. So you're juggling yeah. a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. Reiki, kinesiology, you're instructing other people in kinesiology, um, had a practice, but you don't do that today. So how did you get from there to your gun dog work? Ooh, moved to New Zealand. Okay. So we, we, 
we were yes. it was it was after my mum died actually I was just out of my head in grief and needed mm. to run out I basically ran away from my grief yeah got as far away as I could which was New Zealand yeah and we we planned to emigrate but it wasn't it didn't work for us in relation to my son we had a lot of trouble down there but it was it was when I was down there we took my dog with me my cat with me mm. and um I started training with an amazing behaviorist who's no longer with us now Noel Hutchinson mm -hmm. and I used to train my dog with him to do competitive obedience okay and I used to sit outside of the the obedience ring he's a behaviorist nice every Monday for six hours from four until ten every yeah. Monday and just absorb it I was just totally taken with this you know dog psychology and how animals move and how they learn and I was competing my dogs at the time as well and uh, teaching kinesiology when as a kinesiologist but I was also I started teaching at the local club as well dog training yeah and in New Zealand there's no laws about working with animals over here there's the the, the um, 1962 veterinary exemption order which means you've got to work under a vet in the UK you can't just go and work on somebody's animal it's against the law yeah but in New Zealand there wasn't so I ended up these dogs that I was seeing uh, for training coming to me for healing as well and I was fixing my back and so I ended up moving more into the animal world in relation to physical healing and also um, psychology you not know, doing behavior work mm. And I wrote a course to train kinesiologists how to do kinesiology on animals. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got into dogs, you see. This is, this is yeah. how I got into dog behaviour because it was, it became very transitional. So I would be talking to somebody as I would say, I don't know, fixing my dog's back. And we'd just be chatting. And I would end up doing a behaviour consult, you know, because it's like, well, what's your dog, dog like at home? And where does yeah. he sleep? What are you feeding him? And, yeah. And it just... It was just a natural progression from one thing to another, really. And when I was in New Zealand, we set up the Kinesiology Association of New Zealand. So I was the first president of CANS when I was down there. And when we came home, I, I just, I didn't have enough energy to split between two professions, two distinct yeah. professions. And yeah. I chose dog behavior. Mm. I, chose, okay. I chose the dogs over the humans. Yeah. <laughs> many people do <laughs> oh it was lovely it was just it was yeah it, it's scary, really scary at times going into a room the dog that you know wants to put you in hospital but mm. uh, quite like life-changing for the owners you, you know the we we get used to how a dog behaves and we start adapting our behavior for right. them you, you know if a, if a dog grumbles at you you go oh I'm sorry and you move away from it and right. then very quickly before you realize that the dog's actually terrorizing you right. and to go in and change a dog's behavior so that the people can live with it without being bit or the, without mm. the children being bit it's mm. it's quite a privilege even as it's really scary it, um, yeah. it's quite a privilege that it helps somebody you, you know the relationship with a dog mm. And um, how did you come to write your books then? How does that connect to creating your series of, of books? How did that work? I've got, I have got, got two series. I've got one 
one with three books, which is the Peck and Dog, and then I've got the Train for Life series, and I'm busy writing the second book in that series, which is Manus Not Mayhem. So, oh, Craigie, I was working as a behaviourist, and I was seeing a lot of gun dogs, mainly because gun dogs are my passion, and I would see a lot of gun dogs that were destroying homes or um, biting the owners, you know, really bullying the owners, and it was because high-energy dogs that are supposed to be working yeah. being left in the crate all day <laughs> and a lot of at the time there was no such thing as peck and dog training that was Kenny came up with the name actually it was it wasn't on the map before then mm. and what I found is a lot of the advice being given was being given by gun dog trainers who'd never had a dog in the house with them they'd only had kennel dogs and oh. so they were given advice yeah they were given advice to people who had pets based yeah. on having kenneled competing dogs, you see. And so there would be saying things like, oh, just keep your dog in the crate and let it out for 20 minutes a day, which is fine yeah. in the kennel, but it's not fine in the crate. No. Dogs are going stir crazy. Yeah. And so I was doing a lot of um, behaviour work with gun dogs and there was a couple of them were pretty... At one point, I didn't think I was going to get one out of the car because it was trying to attack me through the window. Wow. And I showed it a dummy, canvas dummy, training dummy for gun dogs, and it completely transformed the dog. And all of a sudden, it was like, oh, this is what I've been born to do. Yeah. And so I set up gun dog training um, for really, really badly behaved gun dogs, gun dogs who had repeatedly bitten or repeatedly drawn blood. And that's where it started. So my gun dog training initially was for really badly behaved pet gun dogs ah, and it wow. went from there and then at the time the the only gun dog books were from traditional gun dog trainers the one that I'm thinking of has got a picture of the guy holding a spaniel above his head by its cheeks and saying you know telling people to throw the dogs down and stuff wow and so there's a yeah and it's still available I thought um, Barbara Woodhouse was bad. <laughs> oh, no, nothing on these guys. And, wow. Um, yeah, really, really bad. And, and I thought I, I need to tell people how to train a dog that lives, a gun dog that lives in the house with them. Yeah. And that was it. So I wrote the Peck Gun Dog. Ah, that, fantastic. That came out in 2010. And yeah. no, as I say, nobody had heard, the, the term the Peck Gun Dog didn't exist at the time mm. we went there yeah. it was because that's what my website was called yeah that was it oh god that's fascinating um yeah. and it makes perfect sense because yeah we've got two gun dogs that don't work they're not working dogs but we we are out for a good couple of hours every day making sure they get uh -huh. exercised because we know that if we if they're not exercised um well they're not you know like you say high energy clever dogs that need to be um well stimulated and exercised um yeah. ah okay yeah so that's sorry my my youngster's just woken up and he's shaking and he's moving oh. around yeah so that was where I came from because you you know people were getting really bad advice on mm. what to do with their dogs and so oh. I it, it was the guys who were, were training with me at the time and they said you know you need to get this out so I did wow and it was too big for one book so I split it into three 
And um, one thing that I know from when we've spoken before is that you did have um, a, a serious, or you, I guess you do have a serious health condition. Um, yes. You were diagnosed with, with lupus, is that right? Yeah, I was diagnosed, it would be almost six years ago now, and it took five years for the diagnosis, because normally it's about seven years. So wow. apparently I did really well. Um, yeah. I'm just gonna, sorry, I'm just taking the toy off my dog, otherwise they're going to start squeaking. <laughs> um, yeah, I was diagnosed with lupus, and when it was after I moved to Scotland, we've been up here six years, mm. and when we moved up, I'd been quite ill in Marlborough, and um, and I thought I just I can't keep going on the field; it's wrecking me, you know, oh. especially coming to Scotland as well. And I felt just I was getting really bad joint pain and um, mm. headaches and, and very, very arthritic. Mm. And as I say, it took, it took about five years for the diagnosis to come through. Wow. And in that time, I decided that when we moved to Scotland, I wasn't going to go back on the field. And instead, I was going to train. Um, I was going to write a course and train yeah. people to do my methods, you see. And mm. so I did. It took me almost a year to write this course. It's an 18-month course. Yeah. And it was really difficult because I have got kinesiology in there. So I've got yeah. kinesiology bits in there. So they learn about surrogacy and energy and yeah. um, the dog is a holistic being. Yeah. And, uh, sorry, I've got, I've got. <laughs> oh, look at that boy. <laughs> no. Um, so that's in there. But, and then after, after that, I also, I'm also a firewalk instructor. And so I've got empowerment stuff in my course as well, yeah. which is really good. And fire so, walking, yes, why? Most people don't think, well, I've not been very well, so I think I'm going to train to be a fire walking instructor. That's exactly why I did it, you see. So I, I, I'm, it must have been about a year after my diagnosis of lupus, and I was still, you know, they were still playing with the drugs to try and get the balance right. Mm. And I felt... Mentally, I felt really lost and I didn't know, you know, which way to turn. And um, I felt as though I'd lost myself spiritually because mm. I was always quite a spiritual person in the kinesiology and shamanic work. And yeah. um, I said to Kenny, what you, <laughs> good old Kenny, Kenny, I'm feeling, I, I feel as if I don't know myself anymore. Will you come and do a fire walk with me? And he said, yes, the fool. <laughs> yeah. So we did a fire walk. Mm. I, did a, I did an arrow break which was yeah. just the best thing where you put the arrow your in, in your throat yeah. and you step into it. And that was the thing that did it for me because um, I was writing a book at the time. I had writer's block mm. and it just released everything. It released my throat chakra. It let me start writing again. And it helped me get grounded, you, you know, and mm. it kind of brought back the belief in myself that I can do what I need to do, even though I've got lovers, I can still do this stuff. Yeah. It's not the end of the world. And uh, and I was hooked. So I decided to train as a firewall instructor. It's amazing because I think actually with all of your accomplishments, to, to consider that you may have felt that you had lost your confidence, it, it's, I yeah, guess, I really lost my confidence. Yeah. I really yeah. lost it because I just I couldn't I felt as if I couldn't trust my body anymore I right okay I couldn't trust the thing that I walked around in um yeah 
you, you know, and, and I mean, even now I can only drive for about 40, 45 minutes and then I, I get quite fatigued by it. And so, but I've learned to live with it. You know, I've learned to adapt and adapt what I do. Yeah. And, um, but at the time I, I didn't, so I would, I would get concerned going to places like going to Edinburgh on my own. I'd get really worried whether I would make it home or not. Yeah. And I just felt as if um, my body was failing me, really. And so I did, I lost my confidence for, for about three years. I really felt it quite hard. And then fire walking and it just, it just really helped. I'd bring me back to myself and say, yeah, you can do this, you know, you can do it. And um, there's definitely just this continuous, consistent theme of um, giving and helping others. Yeah. Throughout all of your work, so, uh, and I'm sure, isn't there? There's some saying. Oh, I've even like seen it at school about if it, if the if the if it's really embedded, then you can teach it. It there's a three step yes. thing about you know you can show somebody else. Like if you can take in the knowledge, that's one point. If you can share it with somebody else, that's another. But if you can teach somebody, then you've really you've got it. Got it. You've got yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I love teaching. I've, I've taught since I was about 13. It is hilarious, though. Did you ever see your old school teachers? <laughs> so you no, can teach wish, me anything, but I, I wish I could. It. I wish I could have. I really wish I could have. No, no, I didn't see them. I never got back to see them. Um, you're definitely le leaving a, a, a legacy or you have established a legacy in that so the... Uh, Kinesiology Association of New Zealand yes. it still goes on to this day. Yes, um, it is. Our, our computers still work. Thank you, Les. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, Trained for Life Pet Gun Dog. So the, the, you've had some professional like, recognition for your books, course, training toys. There's a... Is that, am I yes. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, um, I've won two national book awards. With, with a peck and dog one one yeah um, was at last this year and then a couple of years ago man has not made him won an international book award as well which was just amazing yeah. and then i designed a piece of training equipment to um motivate dogs to retrieve so although we've got retrievers and gun dogs not all of them want to retrieve mm. and so in 2015 i designed a new piece of training equipment and that was a runner-up from the best new gun dog product of the year. Wow. So yeah, that was really, and that, that has made life so much easier for people with dogs who don't retrieve. It's just awesome. Wow. It was an, an aha moment. It was just, you know, it just, let's try this, shall we? Yeah. What are you going to teach people next, Les? Um, oh, Craigie, I don't know. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I love okay. it. I'm studying. You know, I'm, I'm studying now, and um, yes, now you're doing your doctorate, aren't you? I'm is doing a right? doctorate. Yeah, I'm doing it. It's a deprof, which is a professional doctorate, which means, um, although it's done at university, you don't attend university as such. It's all to do with your work, and mm. um, you can only do it. You can only do your deprof is part of your professional practice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing it around dogs and the dog profession. 
Yeah. I wouldn't be able to do a deep prof on, I don't know, psychology, for example, because that's not my profession. Yeah. And so you have to be doing the job, which I think is, for me, the best, the best way of doing it. So I did a master's degree in 2011. Again, it was yeah. professional practice. And that yeah. was all on gun dogs. It was, it was um, whether their inherent behaviour uh, will trump the trained behaviour. It was a really Ooh. interesting it was, yeah, yeah, quick in cognition. And we did it, I did an experiment on it and it was all videoed and it was really, really interesting to do. But again, it was canine behaviour and psychology and I could only do it because I was doing the job. Yeah. And and, and did trained behaviour, <laughs> just, you know, I'm sure there's a very big, um, what do they call it? What do you submit at the end when you're studying like that? Your... Um, dissertation did you have to provide a big dissertation at the end I did you did I did well it was twelve and a half thousand words yeah so so could you just narrow it down to a yes or no for me please <laughs> yes <laughs> yes I actually did a I've done a YouTube video on it as well I just did like okay. a little 10 minute YouTube video detailing the experiment what we did what happened awesome um so it was in following the point so whether a dog will follow the gaze which is inherent you know that's mm. how dogs they communicate with us the same way it's like what do you want and they look at yeah. the biscuit barrel you know the yeah. same barrel what yeah. do you want the look at the lead yeah um, or the trained point where we're teaching them to go in yeah. a certain direction yeah. so whether they would follow the inherent gaze okay huh? more than the point and so okay. I did I looked one way and pointed the other Ooh. Ooh. And there was a right. tennis ball at both sides, so it's like, right? You get that one, and um, and it, it was actually fifty percent of the very, very, very well trained gun dogs mm. ignored the trained command, mm. which was massive. And so that was in twenty eleven. That was just as I was writing the advanced pet gun dog, and I mm. changed all of my training around it. All my training techniques were changed. I put in the books. Wow. And that's what I teach now. I teach the combination of the point and the gaze. Okay. That's fascinating. Um, it, was, it was great. It was so good. And what do you think throughout your kind of, I say career history, life history, what, what has served you well? What's been the thing that you think, you know, this is what's helped me to consistently, like, you know, achieve or become who I follow am follow your or... passion follow your passion you know if you if you're passionate about any about something you can you can do anything really you know you can turn so I'm getting jumped on by a dog it's that time of day um, <laughs> well I'm looking yeah actually it is. <laughs> it, it is it's like yeah I'm getting hungry has somebody cut my throat here <laughs> yeah oh, so um, they go and sit on the mat like we're in the place where the food happens <laughs> yes that's what he's doing and he's, he'll climb on my lap on the night time when it's bedtime and go I'm really tired put me to bed Aww. his crates are open but he still wants to be put in bed Aww. um I think it's find find the thing that gets you really excited because mm. it doesn't it doesn't matter what it is you'll want to learn more so I hated mm. studying at school but now I spend all of my time pretty much either studying or teaching. And it's because I'm just so fascinated by 
the fact that we've got a social predator sharing your life and we can we can live in harmony with completely different species and they have as part of domestication they have adapted and evolved to be able to read us mm. you know they've adapted to be able to read our body language read our facial expression mm. they've um, adapted their behavior so they they bark you know yeah before they were domesticated they didn't when they were wolves they didn't bark and they've they've uh -huh. I well I heard a similar thing about cats where the um the, the argument was that cats before they were domesticated didn't meow but they learned to meow to mimic the sound of a human baby crying yeah, because I can, yeah I can believe that because yeah. dogs dogs learn to bark so that they could communicate with us yeah you know so when you think of all the different ways the dogs bark yeah. And they've got a different, you know, they've got a bark to say, oh, there's somebody out there. They've got a bark to say, I'm hungry. A bark to say, I'm bored. Yeah. A bark to say, let me out. Or yeah. another bark to say, there's somebody at the door. Yeah. And, and all of those different barks, they're only there for us, not for each other. They don't bark with each other, they talk to each other, they communicate to each other with body language and with distribution yeah. and energy. And so I just find the whole thing absolutely. <laughs> Did you hear that bang? Yeah, He's I did. Against the door for a scratch. <laughs> That's awesome. I think. So, well, so find your passion because yeah. if you find your passion and you do it as a job, it won't feel like work. Yeah. And you find your passion and study it. It won't feel like study. Yeah. It's so life enriching. Um, I love that. If you do your passion as a job, it won't feel like work. Oh my madame, it won't feel like work. Well, um, I've just loved spending time with Bled. It's very therapeutic talking to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no, it was lovely catching up with you. Yeah. Really um, where do people find you if they want to learn more about you? Oh, um, I'm just launching a new website, which is lesgram.com, okay. which is about me, all about me. Uh, the Pet Gun Dog website is everything to do with the books and um, accredited Pet Gun Dog instructors. I've got, got almost 20 instructors around the country now teaching my methods. And then Trained for Life is, again, about the books and also the Trained for Life instructors, which is common sense training, you know, doing sensible stuff like teaching dog to walk on other sleeve and recall and have a bit of fun, a bit of games with the dog, but primarily having a well-trained dog. So awesome. they're, they're my websites, Trained for Life, The Pet Gun Dog, and then if you want to know about me and what I do, then lesgrim.com. Brilliant. I'll put those in the uh, show notes. Um, yeah, and thanks again for joining me, Les. Thank you. Thanks very much. You take a steady, Tony, and have an amazing Christmas. Well, you too. You've been listening to University Challenged with me, Tony Kent, and my special guest, Les Graham. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please give it a share or leave a review. Thank you.